Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch. Welcome everyone to the Gaming Couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, SmartBoy. Hello everyone. Well, I've got my ass handed to me today in Malifaux. A combination of poor execution on my part and just really bad flips from the game and I got wrecked. However, it got me thinking. You know, Malifaux is a tabletop game, so it's purely you versus another player. You know, something like Borg and stuff like that. You're always fighting another human being. And in video games, there are single-player games, obviously, that just focus on you, the player, against the AI or the game or however you want to say it. But then there's games out there that have a mix of single-player multiplayer, you know, like Call of Duty and Halo. And there's games out there like Overwatch, Heroes of the Storm and such that is focused solely on multiplayer. That's a pretty cool element. The reason why I like that is single-player games outside of, like, RPGs and those games that I like to kind of, like, make your own decisions have a hard time having replay value because unless it's a really good game that you really love when you play through a game a single player campaign like that's it if you're not making any decisions because the ai has to follow a certain scripted series of events characters and npcs are going to always say the same thing over and over again again if you have some decisions to be made there's some versatility in there that can give like different endings and stuff like that but in at the end you still have that one track you're kind of going down so games with a multiplayer spin on it allows a lot of replayability because you know we've talked about before when you go against other humans unless like they're your best friends that you always play with you don't know what you're going to get you're always going to be versing another human who's like you who's thinking reacting to what you're doing they're not following a certain programmed set of reactions to you i mean the human mind to some sense has some amount of programming to it and obviously when you're playing a game, like if you're playing a fighting game and your enemy's attacking, obviously you're going to back up. Or if you have like a chance to parry, you're going to do that. There are those things that you kind of get hardwired to do. However, humans can be risky or unpredictable and things like that. And then even deeper to that, you know, there are these horror games out there like to play with like the, the mind and get psychological horror and stuff like that. You know, Silent Hill, Hellblade, Sun was Sacrifice, stuff like that. That like to get very atmospheric, really like to play with the player's mind. So it might not be so much about the challenge of the game, it's more about the toll on your mind of going through it. And there are multiplayer games out there that might not be psychologically traumatizing. However, there's this, this psychological element to it where there's partially skill involved. However, there's a good amount of wit needed trying to outwit your opponent, trying to, you know almost getting like a paranoia like avoiding the bad stuff from happening that you know is going to happen but you're not sure when you just know that threat's always there and eventually something's going to happen and when it happens how are you going to react to it and three games two games capture very well but there's a third game i still want to put in there because it still kind of had like the mind games involved in it you know these three games of assassin's creed 3 which came out in october 2012 which was a fantastic summer for me we'll get to that later Panic Station, which is this really awesome hybrid of like a board game slash card game. And I did some research and I, I I bought it, but I couldn't find a release date for it for some reason. So, you know, well, I don't know why, but if you research, if you go to Google and just like do Panic Station board game, you'll find it. You'll see what I mean. And then the last game, which is another huge favorite of mine from college, was Betrayal Outhouse on the Hill, which came out October 2010. So all three of these games 
have a huge multiplayer aspect to it now. Panic Station and Betrayal are both board games, so it's solely just you and other human beings. And of course, Assassin's Creed, you know, there's that single player element, but Assassin's Creed 3, no, not, not 3, wow, I'm an idiot. Not Assassin's Creed 3, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. It's, it's Brotherhood, not the third one, so correct there. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Brotherhood was the first game that had multiplayer in Assassin's Creed. So since I made that huge blunder and made a total ass of myself, let's focus there first. Let's get the video game out of the way. So the Assassin's Creed series, ever since Brotherhood, had multiplayer in it. So if you played the third one, like I just mentioned, or if you played Black Flag, you know, any of those, you might have had some experience with the online multiplayer. And I'm not talking the co-op that they came out with in the later series. I'm talking the versus mode. Brotherhood, for me was the same summer that Dead Space 2 came out, and I spent the entire summer each night rotating. I did Brotherhood one night, and then Dead Space 2 the next night, just playing these two multiplayer modes. Because both of them, I think, for their time when they first came out, had something new to offer. And what Assassin's Creed Brotherhood did was had a great way of cat and mouse. Now, for any of you who ever played the game Assassin in college, where you're, you know, or you have a spoon or a water gun or something, and, you know, you're just out in your town, you have to hunt down one of your friends to take him out. It's similar to that. You know, you get dropped into this virtual world, you're given a contract of an image of another player, and you have to go hunt them down and kill them. When you kill your target, you get a new contract, keep going. Whoever gets the most kills wins. The more stealth you have involved in it, the better. Or if there's certain tools you use, the more points you get, you know, things like that. However, what makes it this great kind of psychological play on your mind is that to make sure that it's not easy to find your target, what happens is let's say the eight people join in a match. And they pick eight different in-game characters, like the barber, the doctor, the courtesan, you know, things like that. The realm then, like the world that you're playing in the level, is then populated with hundreds of copies of those people. So if someone plays the doctor, you're going to find hundreds of doctors just roaming around this town. It's a way for the person to blend in. So what lets you determine who's a human is watching carefully. Because let's say there's a doctor here. That human player, the player playing the doctor, looks just like every other AI-controlled doctor out there. You tell based on the motions that they make. So you're watching carefully. So that's where the psychological aspect comes in. The way they curve it is you're hunting down your other opponents, and you're trying to find someone who's acting a little bit different than these AI you know, people walking around. However, the higher you go up in the chain, the more people that might come after you. And it's it's a great way of balancing it. So I'm not going to get too much into the details of the mechanics because there are abilities like the poison ability I was never really a fan of. And I think poison got a little out of hand in later versions. Let's just focus on what Brotherhood did. It becomes traumatizing sometimes. I, I remember a few matches where I was like first or second place. I got a couple silent kills that the person never saw me coming, so I got like a thousand something points off of a single kill. And now I'm sitting at the top. And it becomes reversed because even if you're in first place, you still have a contract. You still have a person you can go hunt down and kill to gain points. However, you can have up to four other people, as in excluding you, more than half the other players are trying to hunt you down and kill you. And if you decide to take a stab at an opponent, well, no other person's doing that, so they're going to immediately know that, well, that doctor just tried to stab somebody. That's the human I'm after. I'm going to go kill him. Do I play defensive now? Do I try and be a little offensive? Me, personally, I always like to be defensive because I've witnessed it also. One time, I you can blend into crowds. Like, in the normal campaign, you can blend into crowds and stuff like that. You can do that in the multiplayer also. So I jumped into a crowd to stand with this crowd for a bit and just kind of like, you know, stand at this shop and just pretend that I'm shopping there. 
and I'm turning the camera around like 360 to watch everything around me to try and see anything that's weird. And I notice a bench behind me. And there's one person sitting at the bench. Someone else comes up and sits down on the bench. And then, you know, these two NPCs are like talking to each other in game, you know, to make it look like there's some dialogue. And they're just talking there. About like 45 minutes, 45 seconds to a minute passes. Those two people are just there. I'm just here. Nothing's really happening. And I see a third person come over. And the third person, they sit down on the bench. Murder the guy in the middle. Turns out the guy that sat down was another human player who was just trying to blend in, and his the person hunting them found him and killed him. And the weirder part was then the person on the other side of the bench stood up, murdered the guy that just murdered the other person, because it turns out those are two human players that had just sat down and had an in-game conversation for an entire minute. I was none the wiser the whole goddamn time. And that's why it's so horrifying. You know that you have to kill someone else. And if you, in, at least in Brotherhood, they changed it later. But in Brotherhood, if you kill a civilian, they call it, you know, like not the main person you're after, you lose some points and you lose your contract. So you're worried, like, is that the real person? Like, you're taking some time to really make sure it's them so you don't lose any points and you don't lose your contract. Because, well, you just killed somebody who you didn't need to kill, which, one, puts a red flag up that anyone in the vicinity now knows you're an assassin. So if it's another player, they might come after you because they're trying to kill you. You then lose a contract, you have to wait a bit to get a new contract, and maybe you were close on that person's tail when you goofed up. Well, shit, now I just need to refine the trail of someone different. And then as being hunted, like I said, four people after you is hell, because you're not you're no longer really looking for your target. You're now looking around for anything suspicious. And it's troublesome because you could be next to another human player who kind of gives away that they're a human, like maybe they bump into the crowd or something like that, that kind of like other people don't do. So you might break out in a sprint, but it turns out that person wasn't after you. You just were, like, worried that you're about to get killed, so you fucking booked it and ran away when you never needed to, giving yourself away even though you didn't have to. The best event I had of this, and it, it, it shows that it pays off to be that person that kind of plays those mind games and tries to blend into the crowd and really think like an average Joe so you don't give it away— one of the last maps that was released was kind of like this, not a castle town, but like you're in front of this fort and there's this massive market you can go into. It was one of the biggest maps they released. I got into first place and I had four people after me. I was in a crowd walking around and I have, I had a lot of defense abilities. I wasn't really interested in offense. I love defense, like a decoy ability that allows you to send someone, you know, target a civilian and they start to sprint like a madman as if they were like an assassin. So they'd be targeted, you know, powers like that. So I'm walking in this crowd and I notice in the massive courtyard, these three people that break out from the crowd, like various crowds, I'm kind of like start to walk towards my general direction. I'm sitting there for a minute. I'm like, this ain't good. They're, they're, those are other assassins coming to kill me. So I'm like, fuck it. I have no chance where I am. And I broke out in a mad dash. As soon as I start running, those three people broke out in a dash. I'm like, yep, here we go. The chase is on. This is it. You know, to keep my lead, I have to survive these three people to stay in the lead. So I start running, and there's a lot of, like, obstacles you can use. Like, just in the main game, we can, like, go through gates and stuff like that to kind of, like, lose the guards. You can do that in the multiplayer also. So I run through a gate that closes behind me. Luckily, that hits one person in the face, and they don't know how to get around the building. So I lose their tail. They ran out of time. Because if you run out of time while pursuing someone, like, in the campaign, you lose your contract. So I lost that guy. The two other people found their way around the building and up, up on the rooftops. So they're still chasing me. So I continue to run. And I know these two people are on me. Like, I have the indicators. I'm zigzagging, zigzagging, zigzagging. Luckily, I finally found a place where a bush was, and I jumped into a bush to hide. And there's a couple of benches around me. One guy comes running into this courtyard, jumps on a bench, and just knifes this other person to death, this barber. Because I was playing the barber. Just knifes this barber to death. Okay, cool. I lost him. I jumped out of the bush to catch my breath, and that's when the third guy comes around the corner and spots me again. I'm like, well, shit, Chase is on again. Let me run. So I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. 
I come up back to that, that main market where they first spotted me. And this is where the decoy thing comes into play. So I had a leveled up decoy. So not only did I target another barber who looked like me to kind of like run off as if they're me, they also changed their appearance because that's a disguise ability players can get. So it puts pressure on the person chasing me because now they have to think, wait, do I chase that person who's running off and disguising? Because it might be him, but it might not be. I'm not sure. So like you now have, again, it goes back to that wit, that psychological mind game of, he could just be using an upgraded ability or it could actually be the guy trying to throw me off. So do I take the chance and chase him or no? Luckily, the guy took the bait. I sent this uh, this civilian off and I ran back into an alley up the staircase to kind of like the, the fort wall so I could overlook the market. And I saw the guy jump and knife the civilian. And I sat there at the wall for a minute and it showed that I had no pursuers anymore. And I just breathed for a minute. I'm like, I lived. I'm still in the lead. Thank fucking God. Bam, air assassination. The fourth guy, who I totally forgot about, jumps off a building above me, who watched the whole damn thing, knifes me. And I just sat there. I'm like, I'm going to lose this match, and I'm totally cool with it. Because the man played played a great game of assassin. Like, he was the witty one. He was the guy that was thinking, watching, waiting, playing against me. Because my mind was so focused on the immediate thing that was going on that I totally forgot about this fourth person because it wasn't showing up on my radar the three guys chasing me were and it shows time and time again you know i was playing assassin's creed most of the time the people i saw that ran around a lot were the ones that weren't winning as much because you, one you get less points because you're making a scene and two people can then play against that you know they're watching you they're trying to think like okay if this person's running around a lot if i just sit down and i'm patient they'll run right by me you have to play that mind game of what would I do if I was an AI? You now have to think like a program. And it's one of the hardest damn things in the world to do, to think like a damn computer. Because you have to throw out all caution. You have to, like, I've brushed up against someone who's trying to kill me. In fact, two people joined a crowd that I was in that were trying to murder me. And luckily, they both whiffed and killed decoys instead of me. But it, my heart got racing because, nope, I have to be machine right now. I can't panic. Machines don't panic. I can't panic. How do you think like that is one of the hardest things to do? It's still a little, there's a little bit of paranoia in there, which ties into the other two games that I brought up before, Panic Station, Betrayal at House on the Hill, because those two games are a mix of co-op, but also versus. So where Assassin's Creed is that cat and mouse mentality of trying to outwit your pursuers and outwit your prey, because you're still hunting someone at the same time, so you have to, you know, play ball in both courts, Panic Station throws a wrench into it. So Panic Station is a very simple game, board game, where you and it's four to six players, so you and, like, up to five other people are these military people with androids, and your task is to go into, like, this alien-infested place and burn down the hive that's, like, spawning all these aliens. So, you know, victory can prevail, whatever. The kicker is it's built this way. Like, the rules make it where you're shuffling the item deck. The rules force you to do this. You have to put in a uh, biohazard card. And the biohazard card shows that someone became infected. So if you draw that biohazard card from the item deck, you are pretty much infected by this parasitic hive mind. And now your sole job, instead of burning the hive, is to protect it at all costs. Here's the thing. Because you are drawing cards, you have your hand of items. So since you draw the biohazard card, it goes into your hand. No one knows that you draw it. The only thing people know is, like, by the end of turn one, sometimes turn two, that someone's infected because the deck is rigged that way. Like, the rules say, you know, for every player, take the top two item cards, shuffle the biohazard card in there. So if there's four players, you take the top eight cards, shuffle biohazard in there, 
within the top nine cards of the deck, someone's going to be infected. Someone's drawing that, and everyone's forced to search to draw items that first turn. And here comes the mind games. You have to be paranoid, but still willing to cooperate. Because finding the hive takes some time. And since you need a precious resource called gasoline to fuel your flamethrower, you need three tanks. You might not find all three tanks, which means you have to trade with someone else to get gas. And in trading with them, there's a chance that they will infect you. So now you're worried. Who's my friend? Who's my enemy? I don't know until it's too late. To prevent being infected, the only way to do it is you do a blind trade. So you pick an item, the other person picks an item, you put a face down the table and swap. You don't know what you get until you have it, so you don't know what to give. And the only way to prevent being infected is to give the other player a gas can. So you have to willingly forfeit one of your cards that you need to win to not be infected. And then it's too late. It's like, shit, okay, I know this person's infected, but now they have gas. And the other thing is, like, it's a game that's really built on trust. Now, I've never had this happen to me while I was playing it, but it's all in the psych- it's on that psychology of who's infected and who isn't. And let's say that trade happens where you're about to be infected, but you trade gas to prevent it. You could just be that asshole that shouts out like, hey, he's infected, and kind of ruin the game. So that's never happened to me, but something else has happened. In preventing being infected, you know, one of the reactions is to run away or kill the person because you get knives and guns and stuff like that in this game. So I've had it many times. It happens to me. It happens to other people where a trade will happen. And, of course, only you and the other person know the trade that happened. And then someone draws a gun and kills the other player. Now, the other players at the table are forced to think. Obviously, at that point, it's like, well, why'd you shoot him? And then, you know, the debate starts, obviously. Now you're thinking, like, okay, if I shot this person, I'm going to say, hey, he was infected, tried to infect me, and it didn't work, so I gunned him down. Okay, is that person telling the truth? Do you, do you think they're telling the truth? Do you trust them? Like, you kind of have to because you need the gas, but you don't want to be infected in case he was lying, so how do you tell? So it comes down to thinking, like, okay, you watched. Who'd that person trade with throughout the game? When did they trade? When did they search? This, that, the other thing. Are they doing a lot of trading? Like, you know, what's their mannerisms? Things like that. Like, I know somebody, this one fr- a good friend of mine that I've played with, and he always sends his human to the med bay. As soon as the med bay pops up, he goes in there and locks himself in there, whether he's infected or not. So it kind of covers his ass in the sense, like, okay, I know Vinny's going into the med bay. The android can still infect me, but he might not be infected. I just know he likes to hide in the med bay. There's a rhythm to it, but I still have to think around that. And it's amazing because it, it gets me, especially when I play with new people, like some friends I never played with, I get worried. Because I'm like, I don't know how they're going to react to me trying to infecting them. I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to react to being infected by someone else. I don't know how if they're going to try and infect me because... I've played long cons. Like, I've played with five people, and I became the host. And it wasn't until the hive was spotted that I finally infected the first person. Because I kept giving away good items, so everyone trusted me and gave me some gas. I'm like, cool, I got some leftover gas they can't have now. I got the trust of my good friend who has a heavy rifle and a lot of bullets. Welcome to the team, buddy. Go shoot them. And he, he can't say anything about it. He's now infected. He's on my side. So he's forced to play ball with me. And now, because everyone trusted me and didn't think I was the host, this guy with the big gun who's now infected walks into the room with a, a buddy who thinks, oh, hey, friend, what's up? Bam! You're shot dead. Oh, well. Get fucked. Move on. So it's it's fun. I love these games of having to outwit somebody. Like, there is some skill involved, yes, but when it comes down to it, it's the skills you don't see. It's what's going on in that person's head. What's their thinking? Like, you, you can't read minds. So the entire strategy is being built in their mind. And now, because they did something, you would have to react to whatever it is they did on the spot. 
And I've had it where like I had three gas cans. I quickly did a trade and then I end up being infected. I'm like, well, shit, there goes my whole plan. I got to rethink what I'm doing. And so they didn't have any weapons. I was getting a lot of gas. I mean, yeah, it's great. I'm keeping the human from winning, but I'm now useless to the host because there's nothing I can do for them. Oh, well. Now you can you can break that that level of kind of like, you know psychological psychological warfare and I've done it like the one time I was a host I infected two other people and the, the fourth guy who was the last human left wasn't sure what's going on so he was taking his time to kind of like look over the board and I eyed the two other infected people that I infected pointed at him and just kind of like did the whole decapitation motion and then next I know my friend walks in guns the guy down he's like what the hell happened I'm like dude you're the last human you just didn't know it he's like what I'm like yeah did you not see what was going on you got to think for these games. Panic Station and then Betrayal does it too. Now you're thinking it's you don't know who the bad guy is. You could be the bad guy and you'll just never know. So Betrayal, I've never played the same round of Betrayal. Because things like Panic Station have it where someone's going to be the host and they're either going to try and gun you down or you're going to burn down the hive. That's a set. The way Betrayal works is that everyone starts on the same team, just like Panic Station. However, it's a you know it's like a haunted house kind of deal, and they have three booklets. They have the main rule booklet, they have the survivor's handbook booklet, and the traitor's handbook. Because so what happens at some point, you have what happens is a haunt, as in someone draws a card in a certain room, and then bad stuff happens. And what happens is the events that transpire after the haunt is activated. There's like in the standard rule booklet, I don't know, fucking like. 80 different scenarios something like that because each combination of item and room that item is found in leads to a different scenario and with the exception of one or possibly two scenarios there is what you call the traitor which is the person who triggered the haunt the person to the left of them the person who didn't even bother triggering like it's it based on the scenario is now the traitor and they take the one handbook go into a different room or outside or whatever reads their rules, and then the survivors who are left at the table read the book together and find out what they have to do to win. And now, yes, you know who the traitor is, but unless you've played that scenario before, you don't know what they're trying to do. And my friend who introduced the game to me, we played a game, like, every week in college. And he even admitted, out of all the times we played, he never played the same scenario twice. Maybe, like, once in his life he played the same scenario twice, but he always had a different scenario each time. So, yes, you know eventually someone's going to betray you. But you don't know how. You don't know when. You don't know what their goal is. And what happens is because you're gearing up for the haunt to win, you want to be nearby the other players to, like, trade items and make sure you don't die from something bad happening in the house. You know, like the floor collapsing or whatever. So for all you know, it happened to me the one time. My buddy triggers a haunt. He's in the room next to me. Suddenly he bursts out on this giant tentacle monster, takes his body over, and shit, I'm in the next room. He drags me in and eats me alive. Turn one. And I'm like, well, have fun, guys. It's down to the two of you. I'm useless now. Because I was next to him trying to ensure that both of us were surviving and getting good items. And I just got the shit end of the stick that I didn't think enough. I wasn't thinking like, hey, we're getting pretty close. The haunt's probably going to trigger. I should get the hell out of here so I'm ready. I didn't think like that. And then after that, you know, when you read your part of the scenario, you have to think, what's the other person trying to do? So like the one scenario is the traitor, unbeknownst to the other players during the game, strapped bombs to each of them. And also somewhere in the house, he's constructing or she's constructing this massive bomb to, like, blow up the entire town. So, of course, the survivors are trying to defeat the traitor and defuse the bomb. The problem is, because they have bombs strapped to their ankles, they blow up if they get anywhere near the traitor. So I was a traitor this time, and my friends knew they had to defuse the bomb. What they didn't know is that they had the bombs strapped to their ankles. So my one friend, who is the big 
burly player who had like all the strength because you have stats in this game. He's like, screw it. I'll just go in and beat, beat him to death because he has low strength. He walks into the room next to me. I'm like, hey, bitch. Detonator. Boom. Wiped him out. He was dead. And my other friends are like, oh, shit. Okay, what do we have to do? You know, immediately the gig's up that they, they know I can blow them up, but now it's a race against time. It's like, okay, what can they do? Can they get the dice? Can they get the items? You know, what is it we have to do now to beat, beat out the traitor and get that bomb defuse in time? Because the clock's ticking, and I'm just sitting here having fun with this damn thing. It, it's great. Every time it's a, it's a new round at Betrayal at the Haslam Hill, and it's not so much traumatizing or, like, paranoid or harrowing that, you know, Assassin's Creed has or Panic Station has. However, there's still that kind of, like, eeriness of, like, something's going to happen that we have to deal with. Like, there's always that haunting thought over your shoulder that it's there, it's looming over you, shit's going to go down at some point. How are we going to react to it? And that's the joy of just about any multiplayer game in general. I mean, even games like, you know, Mario Kart, Mario Party, Super Smash Brothers, you know, the shooters like Call of Duty. I'm not a huge fan of Call of Duty, but I'll happily sit down with some friends and do a couple rounds of, like, deathmatch with them it's just it's fun because we can do wacky things and since every game's different i know i'll have at least a decent time of doing something ridiculous this time hell like even in halo after all the times of playing halo reach i've started like setting own challenges for myself like on some of the maps that have lamp lampposts i'll stand on a lamppost and never move and just stay there the entire time shooting from up there it's cool because i can never do that on a single player campaign because i always have to move forward in the campaign there's no just sitting on my butt here having a good old time and then, you know, these board games, as much as that psychological aspect of cat and mouse, paranoia, and trust, you can still have some quirky fun times just BSing with your friends while you're playing. And I think that's that's the major appeal that you never get in single-player games. Yes, they are amazing, and, you know, I'm still playing through with Crash Bandicoot and Saint Trilogy, and I'm loving it. Hell, I'm replaying a couple Dark Souls playthroughs. I even went back and decided to replay all of Mass Effect. Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2 don't have multiplayer. I still go back to them because they're fun, but at the end of the day, it's always enjoyable to sit down and play a party game with people. You know, you have companionship. Even if it's online, you're able to, like, talk to the people online and maybe have internet friends that you hang out with. So there's some companionship to playing it. And then you just get that, I don't know what's going to happen kind of element. You know, I don't know what this guy's going to do. I don't know what wacky shit's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to have to do to win you know, the end goal is always the same, you know, get the most points, reach the goal, or, you know, whatever it is for the game that you're playing. But still, I'm going to have to figure out how the hell to get there with everything that's happening around me. I think that's why I will always have multiplayer games. And I think that's why also, like, things like Overwatch and stuff like that are becoming a big hit the past few years. Because with the advancement of technology and all this cool stuff we can do with it, we're looking for the next frontier. And I think that's really where it is, that these big league games that are just focused solely on multiplayer... Because there's that competition where it's no longer just me versus the game and getting better with the game. It's now me getting better with others. I can kind of, like, establish that I have more skill. I have superior intellect or whatever it is that takes to play the game. I can now show that to others. And as much as it's not my thing, you know, you get paid for it if you hit the big leagues. Never understood that. Never going to do it. But to each their own. It just provides that outlet for us because it can happen. So think, you know, think about it. Any good multiplayer games they've ever played in the past, get some friends, sit down, hang out, play a few rounds. So it's a card game or board game or video game. Just, you know, have a board game night. Me and some friends do it every six months, roughly. We try. And we just spend, like, a Saturday night. You know, we meet up around noon, set the games up. Next thing we know, it's 1 a.m. We're like, okay, time to go to bed. 
but it's fun because we play the same games, but we have a chance to BS and we have a chance to be idiots with each other. And we don't know what's going to happen that night. We know we're just going to have a good time. So enjoy it. Have fun. And I'll see you all next week. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.